Welcome to Restore Gospel Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Mike Barrett. I'm Corey Stark. We are two friends having casual conversation about the things of eternity, and we welcome you into the conversation. I uh, I pulled up to a stoplight yesterday and um, was heading to the no matter where I was heading, but anyway, I was sitting there and I looked over and, and it was early in the morning starting my day out and these two guys were in a work truck and they're at the stoplight and the one guy's got his feet up and he's got his, his phone in his hand, you know, just scrolling through something. And then the, um, his friend, uh, the driver was looking at his phone during the stoplight and I thought that is that's so common anymore that people can't even sit through a stoplight without... <laughs> soaking in news or who's doing what or what's the latest you know video that's out there and um i thought about like my mind immediately went to the scripture or into the hymn and the words of god that you know tell us to think about the beautiful think on the true and think on the the peaceable things of the kingdom and how um how opposite that is right now in society mm-hmm. yeah <clears throat> mine's got to be totally engaged with something that's of little or no eternal consequence, um, usually. But hey, um, can I tell the people about our executive board meeting <clears throat> we had the other day and the decision we made? Sure. Okay. Well, so that means that Mike and I went on a bike ride the other day, and we were talking. <laughs> Unfortunately, we didn't have the microphones with us, but it would have been a good conversation too. Um, anyhow, I we've determined. We were talking about the final prophecy and starting to go through that. And we've had a couple other side conversations that have gone out as podcasts recently. But I think we both came to the conclusion that where we really would like to go for the next while, however long it is, there's no timeline. We want to talk about what does the Book of Mormon teach. And this is kind of the decision we made is that we want to move in this direction because the the message is so vital. Um, there, it, it, There's more to it than anything anyone realize it's honestly mike and i know you feel this way too i feel like the book of mormon is the most important book of the world i mean just just to say it and um i I really know that we felt like boy there's just so much information and it's not just about prophecy and it's not just about spiritual things in a sense i mean it is everything spiritual but there's so much about even just life and answers to life's questions that um, I don't know. I'm I'm just excited that we had this conversation and and just kind of making this ch- decision to uh, to move into this topic for a while. Simply this: What does the Book of Mormon teach? Yep, and I hope that we can do it in a way that whether you're a lifelong member with um, with knowledge in the Restoration or RLDS or LDS uh, history or whether you're somebody that's just listening uh, for the first time, or maybe somebody there's somebody you want to share this with that doesn't have any knowledge of the Book of Mormon, or maybe they think it's a bad thing to look really at the message and not to try to convince people based on history or archaeology or anything, even though we've I think we've talked a lot on those different topics, but to let the Word of God just speak for itself and do its own convincing as it was intended. Exactly, exactly. There's a lot of a lot of propaganda out there, a lot of um, uh, cloaks and um, wool being pulled over people's eyes, and the truth is really hiding. But I find peace 
And I find strength and just um, joy in the actual Word of God. And and I hope we talk about um, just how incredibly dense and how many levels the Word is, as well as being simple. But uh, like you said the other day, Corey, could you even write, begin to write one one chapter or even like three verses of scripture and try to make it come together and sound like it was godly. Oh my gosh. It's, it's, you know, try anyone, try that challenge. Just sit down and decide you're going to write scripture. Right. And, and write something that's spiritually in tuned with the will of God and not, not just the sound of it. Like it sounds like scripture, like you can say thee and thou and all that stuff. If you want it to sound in that vernacular, but my, but, but try to share life-giving words, you know, to, to people and have it illumine the soul. And try to do that for more than a verse. Try a page and then try to come up with you know, like 800 pages of it. Um, and, and then make yourself, you know, uh, <laughs> I just can't do it. I mean, there's, there's no possible way uh, any scripture came without inspiration. Now, there's a lot of people's wills out there written in all kinds of literature and books and ideas and stuff, but it's not scripture. But when you find these pure messages of Christ and the way they come with such clarity, I, I would challenge anyone to, to try it. Just try it and see what, you know, I, I think you'll fall off short. <laughs> I got good wisdom from a friend this week. He said, there's nothing more disappointing than when we disappoint ourselves. I thought that was a little nugget. Yeah, really, really, very good. What do you want to talk about today? You know, I hate to start here, but I want to do this because um, this message or these talks we're going to have, they come without apology. But for some people, if you've never heard the Book of Mormon before, um, you've probably heard things about it that have been negative. You've heard things that are associated with actions of people who might believe the Book of Mormon. And for that reason, people might be tainted. Um, I, I hate to come out swinging, but I, I want to just preface everything we're going to say because we'll, we'll, we'll touch on this and then we're going to let it go. Um, the Book of Mormon is not Mormonism, okay? The word that people have heard in this world. I, what the Book of Mormon is, is probably the, the world's most beautiful message of God's mercy, and his power, you know, and I, we, we had this conversation the other day. Remember Mike, we were talking about, if you had to summarize the book of Mormon in a sentence and maybe yeah. I just did, what, what would, what would it be? What, what, where would you go with that? Well, no, I can't, I can't get your response out of my head. So my uh, yeah, answer will be tainted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, really, I really, we should back up the tape, right? <laughs> no, I would say, I think I answered something to, um, it's the message of coming to Christ and you'll be saved. And if you don't, uh, you won't, and that's the only way to to true happiness to meet all your needs. Actually, that was probably wiser than what I said the other day. <laughs> it sounds good. <laughs> well, you know, in this, if you take the thirty thousand foot view of this, and you, and you take the you know the history that we've kind of associated with how we <clears throat> personally got the Book of Mormon and how it came into our hands, and and the things that people who believe it have done with it, but you just take take a step back from all of that and you look at the whole message of it. And to me, God's overwhelming mercy comes through the theme of this redemptive power to 
bring humanity back to him. It's, it's spoken through every page. And, and in, the, in the way that the stories come out through the covenants God has discussed in times of old being fulfilled in the end of days to the plan of salvation and, and the things of, of uh, our response and the change of heart, you find that God has overwhelmingly stated that he's done these things so we can be with him again. And he's telling us in plain terms how we can enjoy the benefit of his spirit in this world through his mercy and how we can enjoy returning to him with life everlasting, his greatest merciful act. And so um, I I just, I don't know, I, I see this book and just even before we got here, I was uh, texting with a friend who was, you know, basically he was saying, I, I can't, I can't believe, you know, we have this book when you consider it for him, it's like a new book every day. We've used that term, but this, the fact that this really is the most important book of the world. When you, when you consider that there's no other book that has the name scripture on it that we know of, at least in our possession right now in this time of world that came through any more purely. I mean, it's even the Bible it was inspired by God, but the the languages and translations it's gone through diminishes meaning from time to time. But to consider, hey, it came from the writers and it was directly translated by the power of God to us. And it's like, where else can you look around the world and say, hey, where can you find anything purer than that? You know? Yeah. And I love the purpose from the very beginning that it was written to convince people both Jew and Gentile, so everyone, Jesus is the Christ, the eternal God. The words in that book, then, I have to believe, were were preserved for that very reason. And if the book is read and the message is made clear and understood the way it was intended, then something should happen within our heart that we become convinced that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the eternal God, and that he has a plan to bring all men back to him that will, that will allow him to do that. Yeah. And that's very simple. And I don't know anything more important or any knowledge more important than knowing inside, you know, with every fiber of your created being that Jesus is the Christ, that he is God and that he has saved us from our, from, from who we are without him, basically. Exactly. Exactly. You know, the, the book of Mormon, uh, it's not, it's not a single message about any certain people, but it, it, what's interesting is because it, it ultimately reveals that God's plan is to bring all back to him, whoever will, Jew or Gentile. You know, it's it's not just about a certain uh, group of people, um, and it's not just about the people who have it right now. That's probably one of the biggest downfalls is, um, you know, it, it, it's, it wasn't just intended to come to us Gentiles in the last days so we could say, look, we have another witness of Jesus Christ. If you read what the text of the Book of Mormon says and what it's going to do for people of the world in a day to come, maybe through this podcast, who knows, Mike? Mm-hmm. But, but it's not going to be just another witness. It's going to be the witness. It's, it, it says, my words will hiss forth as a standard to my people. And that's the day that is approaching um, 
and you know the Gentiles who uh, using the term Gentiles because we're we're not Jews or whatever. Uh, even though the book was written by people associated with the house of Israel, you know it came to us because God in His mercy wanted us to have the pure plan of salvation, the pure testimony of Jesus, the pure understanding that there was no hope to return to God in His immortal realm unless he came down and took on flesh and blood. And it's it just explains it so clearly that God's outreach was not to just the Restoration Church in the last days, who, who were the first finders of this book, but that through this book, the world could come back to him, whether you were Jew or Gentile or, or whatever. And, and that's a bigger story. That's a lot bigger story. How would you say, Corey, we talked about this a little bit, probably when we were off, off the air. How do you say people, people interact with the Bible or how have we treated the Bible? And, and I have ideas on this compared to how we might interact with the Book of Mormon or how we should interact with the mm. Book of Mormon. Like, you know, we've said so many times, um, you know, people use the Bible to make T-shirts and bumper stickers and, and signs at, at uh, sporting events. Not so much there anymore, but you know John three sixteen or um, you know I I have not made you to fear but to prosper and we take little clips out of the Bible and kind of make them a mantra for living well and um, and um, how I don't know just to that's a good point to make memes on the phone anymore but yeah yeah but, but that was not that's not the Bible. The more I learned about it, wasn't written to say this is how you act day to day, especially the New Testament. It was a message to the people then on um, the saving power of Jesus and um, what that meant to them and their culture and how their culture had to then change because of the gospel and how do you implement the Word of God in that. And I'm basically pulling all that from the Bible Project videos. But the Bible is like a story. It's poetry. It's it's different. Well, it's interesting because the the Bible is looked sort of like as, hey, you can get, you know, there's wisdom literature here. Well, there's a ton of wisdom literature in the, in the Book of Mormon too. But our problem, and this is just me speaking, is that we've we've used this word as like Bible as, you know, synonymous with authority. And, and we've used, we've kind of apologized for the Book of Mormon almost like, oh, well, we, we kind of have this other book too, but not realizing it's, it's wealth of, of answers to life's difficult questions. You know, the, the one thing that's interesting about the Book of Mormon that you don't get this just in the way it's written is that there's a lot of first person. You know, it's it's almost like a diary account. I mean, it's exactly that when Nephi first starts writing. And then you always hear the voice of who's ever the kind of editor at, at times. Some, some words we get directly as verbatim, this was the message, this was the sermon, and it's given that way. But you, you hear the author's voice, whether that's Nephi or Mormon, who was sort of the general editor, um, through this. And you don't get that in the Bible so much. You know, you just get, you know, God said, let there be light. You know, God, God separated the light from the darkness. You get this third-person sort of voice sometimes, but but you don't get the feeling and the personality of the person who wrote. You know, even in in the words of Isaiah, these prophets, it's it's still almost written as sometimes third person about what this person did, rather than getting getting his direct thoughts. And even though the words are associated with them, one of the things I, I love about the Book of Mormon, just speaking of prophets, 
and it's different than the Bible is, um, you know, you, you, most people, if, if they've been exposed to the Bible, whether you're Jew or Gentile, you read the old Testament and people are scratching their heads. They're like, what's all this killing about? And what's all, you know, these prophecies are hard to understand. Well, you don't get that in the book of Mormon. You get actually commentators who understood those prophecies of Isaiah then explaining what they mean. And then, and then you get not just the examples of killing and sacrifices from the Bible, but you get people who are spiritually enlightened like Nephi and Alma and others who explain what all those sacrifices were about. You get Alma saying, hey, every wit, every piece of this law of Moses points towards the infinite and eternal sacrifice who will be the son of God, right? And, you know, the the prophets of old in Israel understood those things, but the, the words weren't written. If they were, they were edited out. What you, what you get is the information put back that probably was in the original text, certainly in the understanding of the people from the Bible, but just didn't come to us. Um, maybe jumping ahead a little bit, but, you know, this whole reason we have the, the Book of Mormon has to be separated from if you've been in the Restoration churches, like you said, you know, RLDS, LDS, Restoration, Temple Lot, whatever, or people who just have the Book of Mormon, there, there's a lot of history since the 1800s we associate with that. But if you separate, and, and, and sort of, uh, and to finish that thought, it seems that people seem like, well, it, getting the Book of Mormon was this synonymous event with restoring the church, and then that's kind of why the church was restored and God gave us this book. What's interesting is that Nephi shares a vision early on in his testimony that says something different. He, he never mentions the church being restored among the Gentiles. He doesn't, he doesn't use those terms, not saying that it didn't happen, not saying he didn't see it, but that's not the point he emphasizes. What Nephi emphasizes early on is the reason we have the Book of Mormon is because the Gentiles would stumble because of plain and precious truths that were known by the original apostles, preached in their day, but then later removed by a, a great and abominable church. This is historically corroborated specifically by a man named Justin the Martyr. I'll come back to him maybe a little bit later in our conversation. But people who in the first centuries of the after Jesus lived in Israel, uh, this guy named Justin was martyred for specifically accusing the Jews at that time of removing prophecy about Jesus. And so this book comes to us specifically because God said, I want to be just as merciful to the Gentiles, the people who weren't of the house of Israel, as I was to the house of Israel. The house of Israel got to see me. You know, Jesus says this in the flesh. I got to minister to them. That I didn't get to go to the Gentiles, and that was by design, but I want to send my words as pure as possible. That was the first and foremost reason why the Book of Mormon came forth. It's so that the Gentiles could know how to come to Christ and how to be saved. That's five. I'm I'm just sitting here thinking about what you're what you were saying. I was caught up in listening, so I'm, my my mind's blank. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> I'll keep going. No, this. Uh, the, but here's here's the thing, and I, I want to separate this because really, I think most of our conversation going forward is not going to be about really 
what we have as you know members of the restoration believe or have to say about it. I I think we just want to talk about what its message is and let as you said let the let the words let God's words speak for themselves. Um, not designed to say anything like oh well you've heard this before you know but no I, I think one of the problems we've had is we've we've made excuses or uh, even apologized sometimes for the Book of Mormon or trying to soft sell it um, and 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 maybe saying okay well the Bible says this see how the Book of Mormon says the same thing and and that's a strategy I guess that works and is useful in certain situations but but ultimately. I think the Jesus said, "Hey, this book in one place he says it, it contains much of my gospel, and then he says it's the fullness of my gospel." Um, we can trust Jesus' words when he says, "Hey, whatsoever is more or less than this isn't of me." So, the words of the Book of Mormon are are God's merciful. Um, it's his his merciful gift to us. And it, it would behoove us to just read it and even put blinders on in a sense to, um, and let me, let me rephrase this. I, I found at times people who have been familiar with the Book of Mormon sometimes find themselves in spiritual quandaries because they'll read scriptures in the Book of Mormon that seem to definitely make a statement about who God is and who Jesus is, for instance, as an example. Um, and yet they'll read scriptures in other places and they'll say, yeah, but doesn't it say here and doesn't it say there or something else? We can do that, but I think it's good to take a step back. I, I've come to this decision in my life that the Book of Mormon is the authority and, and let it rest at that. That's, that's my position personally. That's my position I'm now taking um, in teaching and sharing. Uh, something that some years ago I felt like, eh, I better not say that because a lot of people, even though it's in the Book of Mormon, well, people think differently. It's like, I'm convinced that we have limited ourselves in power and understanding when we've done that and not realized the gift that God gave us to hold in our hands of, of truth. So um, without trying to say, well, you can believe this because it's in the Bible, I just want to say you, you can believe this because God's Spirit will bear witness of the truth. If you, you know. yeah, and um, and we're not want to be clear. The Bible, I believe, the Bible is uh, is a message from God to us as well to know Him. Um, and so, not saying that you don't need the Bible or it's not worth reading. Um, but I have not read anything in the Book of Mormon that, that I know of that contradicts the Bible. Uh, maybe understanding of things or makes them more clear on what they meant, but. But the Bible is good scripture. But this, this is um, this was to come forth in the latter days to convince the Jew and the Gentile. So uh, even even us that weren't raised in Hebrew tradition, where you need to know a lot sometimes about what was going on to understand what the message is, and it takes sometimes more digging and more listening to people that have studied, people that are in the know, people that have knowing the history and the culture that can help clarify a lot of the scriptures, you know, and their study Bibles that help with that. But more so the Book of Mormon, I think, is very plain and simple. And its purpose was also to restore those plain and simple truths to us so that you don't have to uh you don't have to be trained in all of the the ways of the of the people back then to understand the message of 
God that's going straight to your heart and, you know, the way he wants to connect with us. I find that very helpful in the Book of Mormon. Yeah, exactly. Um, so in this journey, uh, you know, I, I stated it's not Mormonism, and eventually we might touch on some of these topics, but the Book of Mormon does not teach things that people have heard associated with that same word, Mormonism. You know, uh, strange doctrines like polygamy. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of funny how, how we associate things. If you've never heard of the Book of Mormon and you've heard people who believe the Book of Mormon practice polygamy, it's kind of like, um, they're, they're, it's, it's funny when I've talked to some people and they say, oh, well, you don't believe in polygamy, but you believe Book of Mormon. It's like they've never read it and they don't know that. But it would be akin to me like if someone from a foreign country heard that, well, America in a time of history had slaves, and then just assuming that every American was a slave owner and advocated slavery, well, slavery wasn't in the Constitution. I mean, you know, it didn't advocate that. It, it, it didn't promote it. It was unfortunately something who people who were under this umbrella of America, certain people did. I find that the Book of Mormon is, it's got a similar history. You know, separate the practice from the word. There were people who fought against slavery who were Americans, you know, people who hated it, right? And so it's the same thing as with the Book of Mormon. Uh, I wonder, I don't, I don't know if you're planning on doing this at a later date, but it may be good in the beginning to um, talk about, because I, I recently got a call from, we had some missionaries from the Latter-day Saint church um, that we would have over for dinner and stuff. And, um, and of course they're trying to convince you to join their church and that's why they're out there. That's why they give up two years of their lives. And I respect their, their diligence in that. But, um, uh, uh, one of our ministers at the congregation I go to in his sermon several weeks ago was talking about truth and that, if you're talking with somebody and you want to come to a common understanding, you have to have something that you use for a baseline, something to use as a foundation, you know, and like I just had to do my yearly training at, at the hospital I work for, and we have a code of conduct we have to read every year. And it's our basic underlying, this is the way you will act. This is what you're responsible to do as you're a member of this organization or this entity. And in life as humans, there's certain things that only can have a foundation that we can go to that is ultimate truth and authority, where it's outside of work. It's just governs how we act, how we feel about life and value life. And if we don't have the same foundation, if we don't go to the very bedrock and meet there, then there's no way to come to a common knowledge or a common um, a common a resolution at all. Um, and so... We have to, in the same way, when it comes to the Latter-day Saints or the ones that really probably have given the Book of Mormon a lot of uh, a bad name, unfortunately, because they are a much larger organization, there's certain things that uh, if, if, if they can't say the Book of Mormon is going to be the foundation you know, for what our beliefs are, then there's really no way to ever come to a common oneness with the Latter-day Saints because... Um, because they can go to things outside of the Book of Mormon. So, Corey, I know you have a list of just things that um, the Book of Mormon does not teach that may be associated with Mormonism, because maybe people won't want to go any further if they don't see that clear difference at the beginning. I don't know if that's good to do now or you want to do that later. Yeah, no, I've, I've got a list, and, and I'll say it again, even though uh, this project is becoming much bigger than I initially thought. Um 
we are going to have a restored gospel soon. Um, a, a, a guy, I don't know the right word to call it a study guide or I'd say a tool, a tool. Um, it's becoming a, a book as well, but, um, to echo what we're talking about, what does the book of Mormon teach? And, and I guess not to be too negative, but I think we have to start here. What does the book of Mormon not teach? Um, so let me give you a list of some, I'm going to tell you maybe nine or 10 or 11 principles that are commonly associated with the Mormonism. And there's, there's not any denying that these things were at one time a part of a history of certain people who believe the Book of Mormon, or even maybe of a majority, but without even getting into the reasons why people did that or who promoted things, let me just state a few of them. Um, there's a concept in Mormonism that there are infinite levels of salvation, okay? Um, does the Book of Mormon teach that? No. Book of Mormon teaches this. Salvation means returning to God or being cast out. There's one or the other. That's it. And and so the right hand of God. The right hand in of his God, presence. In his presence. And so without even debating that right now, we're gonna state it. Now everything we're gonna talk about eventually we'll come back to in detail. Um there's a concept in Mormonism. And let me just say this too, these ideas that are, we call Mormonism were things that happened at a time about when the when Joseph Smith was martyred, the, the young boy who found these plates, who eventually became the leader of this uh, restoration movement for a short time before he was killed. At the end of his existence on earth, um, there were many ideas that were coming forth, and if he advocated them, I don't know, or others, I'm, I'm not here to discuss that, but people who took over a certain segment of authority and took some people in a different direction physically and spiritually started teaching certain principles that, that were never part of the book of Mormon. Um, so salvation's one and, 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 but yet they get associated with them because these people still believe the book of Mormon. But the, the next big one is, is God himself. Um, God had a previous mortal existence, you know, some other world. This is something that's discussed in Mormonism. Does the Book of Mormon teach that? No. It says God has been God from all eternity to all eternity. Yeah. God wasn't created by another God. Yeah. God is one God. And and there was no uh, this Adam-God theory. None of this comes from the Book of Mormon. That you know He was this man who kind of worked his way up the echelon of eternity and became a God. And, 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 and along with that, this idea that then we become these gods that— inhabit other planets and we have our little families that grow and inhabit these realms. None of that is part of the book of Mormon. There's no hint of that. There's nothing at all even suggesting that. Um, so, so God and this Adam God theory, you know, this Adam God theory is a, is an idea that's associated with Mormonism, but this is not part of the book of Mormon. Man returns to God only if our sin is removed, you know, this is, this is the idea of man and our relationship to God. We are this, uh, spiritual being in an earthly realm. And because of sin, we're separated from God. God's merciful act to take on flesh was the only thing that could rescue us to remove that sin so we can return to his presence. That's the relationship between man and God. We were created, as the scripture says, in God's image, which really ultimately means more than just, hey, fingers and toes and resembling a personage. It means we were created in his character. We were created with the ideas to think and create and dream and 
and grow and understand. And those are the attributes of God that he placed within us. But because of this flesh, our sin has separated us from him eternally unless he came back. So so this idea of God and people evolving into God's, none of it's in the Book of Mormon. The, the Book of Mormon simply teaches we were cast out of God's presence because of sin. He in his grace and mercy came to earth to redeem us so we could return to his presence. This is good. These are good. I like this. Well, so, so simple. Salvation, God, Adam. Uh, so the next one's polygamy. We've already touched on this. Uh, polygamy in the Mormonism concept, while it's not really promoted anymore, there was a time when it was, and people were trying to reconcile because they had heard by some leaders in early Mormon history that it was somehow a necessary component this uh, spiritual wifeism to uh, that to, to return to the celestial level where God was, this was an essential thing. Now I'm I'm way paraphrasing it, and I don't mean to offend people who are listening. If you're LDS and say no, that's not it. I, I'm I'm not trying to um, overstate this. I'm just trying to be brief. But the idea of one man having many wives um, and that being something condoned by God is totally against the teaching of the Book of Mormon. The teaching of the Book of Mormon uses probably the strongest words of condemnation in its text anywhere against polygamy. It calls it a whoredom, right? It calls it an abomination. It says one man, one wife, and it, and it, it explains why that's important. You know, there's a, a an amazing spiritual parallel throughout Scripture of one man and one woman because there's only one God in his church are the people who've been baptized in the spirit there 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 is no other church outside of that that rejoins him and those have been changed by him and so this whole idea that god would have multiple churches and you know is totally ridiculous and so that's the reason why a man having multiple wives is equally ridiculous because our marriage and our the act of marriage in this world is to teach us in a physical and emotional sense in this existence of something of greater spiritual and eternal understanding. And there's, um, and though the the main uh, Latter Day Saint Church doesn't teach polygamy anymore, practice that there's many offshoots of it that have, and and you've heard of Warren Jeffs and different fundamental um, Book of Mormon believers, and there's movies on. Um, on mainstream cable, sister wives, and things like that, where polygamy is shown to be okay, and there's a purpose for it, but not in the Book of Mormon at all. It preaches against it. No, it, it is totally condemned. Um, things like, and I can't speak to this, I've never been a part of it, but the rituals like secret temple rituals, nothing like that. No rituals or secret oaths of any kind. In fact, the Book of Mormon condemned secret oaths because there were secrets that were the downfall of society that were passed along between evil people. And that wreaked havoc among the early Americans here that the book of Mormon uh, testifies of and records their history, but um, nothing like that. Um, uh, Coming back, touching on polygamy, you know, polygamy evolved into this uh, sometimes celestial marriage, I guess that became the outcropping of what was earlier polygamy, um, there was a, 
a time when polygamy was sort of advocated by the church, and then a lot of those people ended up in prison. Uh, you can even see that on the LDS website, which is you know, just being honest, I guess, about their history. But um, this idea of celestial marriage evolved out of that, where there is this special sealing ceremony and people were committed for eternity. Um, that's not taught in the Book of Mormon. Marriage is, is for this life. It's a teaching tool. It's just like the the law of Moses in a sense that, hey, if you didn't realize when the law of Moses was done by Jesus' death and resurrection, well, you could learn about it after the fact, but it had a finite time period. It had a purpose as a teaching tool, the law of Moses did, but it was done away in Christ's death. Well, this idea of celestial marriage doesn't really fit with the pattern that God and the church come together. That's the symbolic message when we're reunited with God. That's the ultimate marriage ceremony. But the idea that we're married to each other in eternity, that's that's the meaning is lost if we think that's what it is because, again, marriage was to be a teaching t- tool for this life to teach us about something greater. Yeah, that was like the, I mean, I don't like it. I always marvel at that trying to catch Christian. I was just listening to an interview with a popular Christian artist the other day, and they asked her, you know, is homosexuality a sin? And it's like, why? Well, you throw that out because you want someone to quote one scripture in the Bible or something like that. Right. And instead of the, the real answer is, well, you only ask that question because you don't understand the purpose of marriage and the whole purpose of marriage. And, and that's a big, much more extended um, hours of conversation as you see the theme throughout the scriptures. Exactly, exactly. Sometimes those questions, they they, they miss the premise. Um, so a, another one is secret mysteries regarding salvation. Uh, there was a time when, you know, a certain leader of the restoration after Joseph's martyrdom said, oh, well, there were things you weren't ready for that Joseph shared with me, and, you know, and, and, and I'll start sharing these mysteries with you. Well, the plan of salvation is the greatest gift of God, and it's been fully revealed, and, and, and God said, you've got it. Here it is. It's the fullness of the gospel. To, to lead people along thinking, oh, there's these deep secrets, and, it, well, if you don't understand it, you just haven't prayed enough. That's nowhere in the Book of Mormon. God God says, I deal with people in plainness. He uses that word, uh, plainness. And uh, so, the now, I'm not saying there aren't deeper understandings, and, and, you know, there are times even in the Book of Mormon where it says things were so great it was forbidden for us to write them down, you know, and I, I get that. That's a separate classification of spiritual experience. But this idea that there are secrets to coming to Christ and being saved, no, no, not at all. It, the Book of Mormon is plain and pure, and those the language of those secret mysteries is worlds away from the Book of Mormon. It has nothing to do with it. Um, there's an idea. Let's see, I guess we've talked about salvation, God, Adam, polygamy, rituals, marriage, mysteries, uh, Satan, okay, uh, this idea that Satan and Jesus were brothers. I don't really know where that comes from, but there was something associated with with the Mormonism. Uh, the, does the Book of Mormon teach that? Absolutely not. The Book of Mormon teaches that Jesus was God in the flesh. Satan was an angel who fell from heaven. Um, and angels are cre- created beings, and well, God certainly is not created. Yeah. And we don't read anywhere that it said Satan was eternal. It does say Christ was eternal. Right, right. And and even, um, 
you know, this idea that Satan somehow could have come and redeemed mankind, none of that is in the Book of Mormon either, which some people might say, well, doesn't that kind of conflict with the, uh, the inspired version or, or different ideas that have come forth in the Restoration? Um, I, I'm not even going to open that debate right now either. All I'm going to say is this. If you read what the Book of Mormon says, Lehi, who had all these plates in front of him and is studying them, he says, if 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 it was true that Satan somehow had equal authority with Jesus and all this, he probably would have said it. But Lehi's very words are, hey, I just need to suppose from what I'm reading, Satan was this angel who fell from heaven. But he said, but then he explains, but God will take on flesh and he will become Jesus Christ, right? Uh, it wasn't like Jesus was this person floating around heaven and Satan was this Lucifer guy floating around heaven and they were just, you know, cousins or family or whatever and had a falling out. That's, that is fabrication in someone's mind. And it's not in the Book of Mormon. Not in the Book of Mormon. It's been, you know, propagated through time. But, you know, this is why it's so important, Mike, that even in the Restoration, I, I think the biggest condemnation is that We've, we've never read the Book of Mormon and said, no, this is the doctrine. This is the gospel here. Check anything else against it, and if it doesn't agree with it, put it aside. This is this is the plan. This is the truth that we were given. All, it was supposed to come to all Gentiles, and, and the Gentiles ultimately reject it. Uh, to, you know, The future story is that it comes back to Israel, and they don't reject it. I hope we live to see that day. But so... Jesus was God in the flesh. Satan was an angel who fell. That's what the Book of Mormon teaches. None of this other association. So please uh, know this as well. Um, if you've heard it said from evangelical pulpits from time, oh, well, those Mormons, they don't worship the Jesus you worship. Well, in the minds of some people, they might see Jesus different. But you know what? The Book of Mormon teaches this is Jesus, and there was only one. There is no other. There is no other. He he was God who came down, the only hope for salvation, and it is him, uh, Yeshua, uh, the Savior. Um, a few other topics here, and again, we're just kind of hitting on these things in case you've ever heard this. I want to put your mind, you know, we want to put your mind at ease that uh, the Book of Mormon does not promote weird doctrines at all. Um there was a, a practice of baptism for the dead that happened in um, the latter years of the church when the people were living in Nauvoo. It wasn't happening everywhere. It was just kind of happening there. Um, when Joseph was martyred, um, there were certain people who went on to Utah who continued that practice and even to this day hold it as a spiritual, um, uh, I don't know, part of salvation for some people without going into it. Does the Book of Mormon teach that? No, it only taught baptism for the living. It only teaches that baptism is for the people who can consciously repent. Uh, little children aren't to be baptized, but it also doesn't mention dead people in a spiritual world communicating back that they've made a decision. It, it has no language to that effect at all. So baptism is only for us now. Um, and to be clear, I don't, I don't accept that the Bible... I don't think we can gather from what we have in the Bible that that some arguments are made. Baptism for the dead was mentioned in the Bible by Paul, I believe, in Corinthians. Um, I don't, I don't, I find that to be a hard jump. And and maybe some evangelicals may. There's many thoughts on that anyway. But yeah, and, definitely and, not, in my opinion, enough light to say 
one way or the other, and the Book of Mormon does not mention it, so I have to say that that's out as far as... Agreed. That word, too, and and I don't want to use this or overuse this as the excuse, but again, the Bible has been translated, and words that are in English don't always convey the understanding of the authors. There was different biases. Even politics worked into certain translations. It's been proven by... Uh, Hebrew experts and Greek experts now of how certain words became used that weren't maybe even necessarily the most appropriate. But exactly what you said, Mike, there's only a short phrase where Paul doesn't say baptism for the dead. He says that your dead be baptized. Well, the dead in that case was likely not talking about people whose spirits had separated from their bodies. He was probably talking about people who were alive in this world who were, quote, spiritually dead. In other words, you know, people who were um, morally and emotionally disconnected from God and his spirit, but that they, you know, would be baptized. Nevertheless, and this is a point to be made throughout Scripture, not just regarding this single topic of baptism for the dead. You can never take a single verse of Scripture. It's dangerous to build an entire doctrine on it, you know, from a phrase and decide, well, that tells me everything, you know, and I've got everything I need to know. No, you, you read the whole thing. In fact, as much as I like Scripture searching, um, it's dangerous to just do what Scripture searches are good at doing, and that's bringing you a verse with a word that you found in that verse, because you, you've got to read a verse in context, and the context could be, you know, several verses or chapters or whole books and stories so you get the bigger idea behind it. Um, and so the thing about the Book of Mormon that is worth saying as well is that, you know, it's it's so clear in its understanding. It's almost impossible to take any of the verses out of context. I found this, and this is just my thought on this. Now, there's one or two, and we've talked on this in the past, this grace and works after all you can do thing, that might be one or two where you have to read it in a larger context to understand it's not saying what people think it is when it's pulled out. But so it's so clear in the Book of Mormon sometimes because ideas are concise that there's very, very little misunderstanding, I believe, that comes from um, reading a verse just, just by itself. But the larger meanings come when we see the bigger stories, when we take a step back and see God's working throughout the verses. So. To be fair, uh, probably should mention, you know, baptism for the dead. There is revelation given that's been attributed to God and that um, that they could say, you know, they're not taking just one verse, but that we do have ongoing revelation from God that declares it. But um even if the very author of the Book of Mormon gave a revelation for baptism for the dead, I mean, I say author, translator, sorry. Even if you say Joseph Smith did give a revelation, he he's held to the same standard, in my opinion, as as anyone. And if, if God and Jesus didn't, if Jesus didn't put it in the word um, and then tell us that that's the fullness of the gospel and the standard and how we get to know him as the eternal Christ. And it's never mentioned that I don't think man gets to come along and add something so big as his, as a new doctrine and get away with it. So. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, we in the restoration believe that God continues to speak, but we've done something uh, in various groups of the restoration that, you know, we've collected our, our recent, revelations and we've put them in our own books and we've decided, well, here's 
Bible has God's testimony. The Book of Mormon has God's testimony. We've got our own testimony, and that's all good. But at the same time, what you just pointed out is important. Those ideas that came about baptism for the dead, while they were, quote, at one point in time considered revelation, what's interesting is that certain groups, people who went to Utah, continued to hold those as models of Scripture. Some people who came back, you know, at, at Nauvoo, it's interesting because the people who went west with Brigham Young, they kind of took Nauvoo ideas and they um, increased them exponentially. You know, the baptism for the dead came at that point in time. The celestial marriage polygamy, that came at that time. They were all growing and going with those ideas. People who didn't go with them, Emma Smith and her family, uh, they kind of returned to almost like the Kirtland era of of their ideas towards God and the church and gathering design. Um, and, and they rejected all these things. Now, whether, and, and it's funny, be, not funny, the wrong word. It's interesting that, so the RLDS church years later even took that one scripture that contained words describing baptism for the dead and they removed it from the doctrine and covenants. Now, I don't know if whitewashing history or sanitizing things helps anyone or not, but the point is this, I'm not convinced that we were ever given this authority to say, hey, our collection of scriptures that we've, our inspired writings that came from people that we held up as prophets over time, um, were supposed to trump what was in the Book of Mormon because for this reason, and, and that might seem harsh, in the, I'm going to pick on my LDS friends, but I, but I know this to be true, um, there's a, there's a culture within the LDS world that you, you are not ever allowed to challenge something if it came from the prophet or a leader. You know, if their words were said, there was that was that, and that's sort of like, okay, you're in the army now. This is how we're well, like the Catholic and the Pope to some extent, right? Yeah, Ex- exactly. Same way, same way. Um, what's interesting is is that even in the Bible, though, there's a strong precedent where God's instructing the people. Uh, it was Jeremiah or Ezekiel. I can't remember. I, I, don't have it in front of me, but where it's saying, hey, if if uh, the Lord, if, if a prophet spoke and he was deceived, um, well, this is how you know. And so God was telling the people, hey, you need to judge the prophet's words, right? If they were of me or not. And sometimes they will be and sometimes they won't, you know? And so, and I'm not trying to disparage, you know, specifically Joseph Smith or anything like that. I'm just saying God never told us in through the scriptural precedent that, uh, prophets would never fall or, or even say something that was false. And he wanted people to judge the word. And that's where I think the biggest difference is, uh, maybe even in our podcast, Mike, is that you know we're not trying to be um, <clears throat> disparaging or sacrilegious or or just edgy and, and, and push, push weird ideas. But I'm just saying, the, when we come back to what God said is the Book of Mormon was supposed to be the authority, well, let's compare everything to it. And then if it means that we have to put a dividing line and say, okay, what ideas came after the Book of Mormon? We need to be aware of these. And so all these ideas that we've talked about so far that are associated with Mormonism were ideas that came way after the Book of Mormon. None of them came then. And so so we're given permission, I believe, by God to say, hey, does it match? Does it, does it coincide? We have to let go of this idea that was propagated though that oh there was deeper mysteries and we just weren't ready for them yet you got to let that go because that's dangerous right yeah and and the writers of the book of mormon they before they many of them came over here they brought with them the quote bible the the plates that would have made up the bible and the early manuscripts so they 
their foundation did not leave the Bible. It didn't leave that that book of scripture. They had that with them. They just and they say in places we're not going to, you know, we assume you have already been given this, so we're not going to repeat it. Saying you know we would have those records as well. They are, and so they they had that background. They right. had that history. They didn't let it go and go to a different gospel. And we can't let. Uh, the Bible and the Book of Mormon go to some new idea that's not contained anywhere in any of those records, and then base our salvation on it. How, how that would be terrible. And so, I do believe many revelations came forth as God was active again in the 1800s, and and His Word came forth. But if that Word contradicts what we've already been given, or if our interpretation of that Word is the wrong interpretation yeah, and yeah. sets up a whole new um, doctrine of salvation or any other doctrine, then we have to revisit that and say that's not contained in previous scripture. And how dangerous is that? And how how uh, damaging is that to people's souls or to the way they see God? Yeah, how, how are we portraying this God who we suppose we're in, his ambassadors on earth? And you're right. And it's and again to to specifically come back to something you just stated, Mike, is that this. Um, this isn't necessarily a problem with the scripture. It's a problem with our understanding of the scripture. Like we've talked about, especially with life after death mm-hmm. and eternity and, and that. Um, so two other topics on this. And, and I, one is just this word grace. Um, you know, there's this concept uh, that's sort of propagated through Mormonism that, well, yeah, there was a sacrifice, but you got to do these other things. And if, you know, like the celestial marriage or you better pay your tithing in full, all this. And if you want to be with God, like there's these, oh, the word of wisdom is another one. Uh, you know, these steps, you'll, you'll get, you won't go to hell, but you got to do these other things if you want to be with God. And it's like, that is not talked about at all in the Book of Mormon. It, none of that is singled out. In other words, the, what's singled out is we need to be broken and contrite and call on God like a little child depends on his or her parent, and that being the only source of salvation, and that the real message of the Book of Mormon is that our, our works can't save us. Our works are simply evidence that our heart changed, and if our heart is changed, our sin is removed, and that returns us to God's presence. That's what the Book of Mormon tells us so beautifully and clearly. Um, all these extra things are, are just things that men have added to it. Yeah, not it definitely doesn't teach that you're saved by works, but um, and that would be attributed to us, but that you're saved by the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. And that means righteousness, which you, which you could say is a work, but um, it's you know coming to Christ and becoming righteous and becoming like Him. That all involves a lot of discipline and work. But you're not saved by by those actions or how much good you do. Yeah, but, but that, by becoming like you know submitting to Christ and by His blood. I mean, it's all through the Book of Mormon. Saved by the blood of Jesus and the power that that has to those that repent. So the work you do is repent. But yeah, the, the typical grace versus works argument definitely not in the. Book of Mormon, and well, that scripture's mis- misrepresented. Yeah, and that that grace wor- worth versus works argument has been something, you know, propagated by people in our day based on misunderstanding the Bible. The beautiful gift of the Book of Mormon is it explains that, and unapologetically, we can talk about works, uh, and we can talk about grace, and we can find their perfect balance. But uh, the Mormonism has taken that idea to an extreme, which 
is not contained within a single page of the Book of Mormon anywhere. Uh, the Book of Mormon puts in beautiful harmony how we only have a hope of salvation because of the merits of, of Jesus Christ. And if our hearts change, our works reflect that. And we'll be full of good works because it will be the abundance of fruit that's born out of a changed soul. Right? Yeah. And that's, that's where judgment comes. So the last one is simply this word Jesus. You know, not, not so much the Jesus versus Satan and all that stuff, but <clears throat> there, there is the belief that is held, and, and there's good reason for it if you read the Bible or the Doctrine and Covenants, uh, even certain, certain language in any book, there's an idea that God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit were three separate conscious beings. Um, LDS promotes that in their current literature. Even the community of Christ promotes that as their understanding. But the Book of Mormon uh, does not teach it that way. And this is uh, might be a striking idea for some people who have even grown up in the Restoration, that Jesus was fully God in the flesh, and his spirit is his spirit that visits us, and his body was the body of that spirit. But but God and the Holy Ghost and Jesus Christ are, are one in conscious being in that. We, we don't understand that mystery uh, com- completely, but there's clarity that comes to the Book of Mormon. And so this is something that in my life before I felt like I had to kind of step around or soft sell it or say, well, you can come to your own decision. And, and, you know, I guess, honestly, everyone has to come to their own decision. But for me, now I've read these pages and I've realized God was trying to tell us something very plain and precious from the beginning. And, and I'd invite you not to get turned off by that or any of these ideas if if somehow you've grown in your relationship with Christ holding a different idea there's there's no condemnation there but there's so much about God that you know we, we don't understand a, a millionth of that will be revealed to us in the life to come um, the the ultimate test to salvation and here's the point of, of all this is that it's not based on doctrine my We've promoted that among ourselves. It's it's not a test of doctrine. It's a test of the change of heart. And those people who come to Christ in calling on him in mercy have the assurance of salvation. That's what the Book of Mormon teaches. Um, and, and where we've drawn lines between doctrine and, and things, the Book of Mormon doesn't do it that way. Did you get through... I think Did you get through all of them that you had for, for, <laughs> for now? For today, I think so. Uh, oh, so we'll call this one Myths. Mysteries and what myths, Mormonism, and yeah. what the Book of Mormon does not teach. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, I, I just, I'm, I'm glad we kind of started here. Although, you know, it's sort of a necessary thing, I guess, because uh, we'll, we'll go on from here and not necessarily come back to this topic. But for people who may never have picked up a Book of Mormon because you heard some of these other things before, well, we invite you to open it and read its pages. For, freely knowing the with the assurance that it's the pure words of Jesus Christ coming to you. I love reading this book, and as one of our guests, one of the interns said, sometimes he likes to just kind of selfishly sit down and just read it as it's a book to him because there's so many mysteries and blessings contained therein that it's a treat and a pleasure, and I agree. So, Corey, take us out. Hey, it's been good being with you, Mike. Thank you, friends, for listening, and just remember, we're just walking each other home.